my co-accused. Before I took the stand, we were sitting side by side, although separated by the two dock officers seated between us. I had been advised not to glance over at you while the other witnesses were being questioned. It would make me look more like your conspirator, I was told. While I have been on the witness stand myself, you have looked at me simply and without emotion, and your calm, almost blank stare is a comfort, for I know you are willing me to remain strong. I know that seeing me here, raised up and isolated, stared at and judged, will be making you feel protective. Your stare may not look intent to those who don't know you, but I have seen that apparently casual glance of yours on many occasions. I know what you are thinking. There is no natural light in courtroom number eight, and that bothers me. In the ceiling, there is an arrangement of latticed fluorescent squares, and there are white tubes on the walls. It's also sanitized and modern and stark. The wood panelling, the drop-down seats with their green cloth covers, none of it fits. The life-changing drama of why we are here versus the deadening mundanity of the procedures. I glance around the court. The clerk, sitting one row down in front of the judge, has sagging shoulders. Susanna is in the public gallery, next to a bunch of students who came in about an hour ago, and a retired couple who have been there from the start, but who are, as far as I know, unconnected with our case, just theatre fans who can't afford a West End show. Even Susanna, who is watching me with her usual care, even she is glancing at her watch from time to time, waiting for the end of the day. No one is expecting any major developments at this stage. I would like to take you back a bit in your career, Miss Bonnard says. I hope you will bear with me. Throughout my examination by her, she has been scrupulously polite. This does not alter the fact that she frightens me. Her unnatural composure, her air of knowing something infinitely useful that the rest of us have yet to learn. I guess her to be nearly twenty years younger than me, mid-thirties at the most, not that much older than my son and daughter. She must have had a stellar rise through chambers. One of the jury, a middle-aged black man wearing a pink shirt sitting on the far right, yawns conspicuously. I glance at the judge, whose gaze is purposeful but heavy-lidded. Only my own barrister, Robert, seems alert. He is wearing a slight frown, his thick white eyebrows lowered, and he's watching Miss Bonnard intently. Later, I wonder if he registered something at that point, some clue in her apparent lightness of tone. Can you just remind the court, she continues, when it was you first attended a committee hearing at the Houses of Parliament? How long ago now? I should not feel relief, but cannot help myself. It is an easy question. The moment has not yet started. Four years ago, I reply confidently. The young woman makes a show of glancing down at her notes. That was a House of Commons select committee on... No, I say, actually it was a standing committee at the House of Lords. I am on shore territory here. 
Standing committees don't exist anymore, but at the time the House of Lords had four of them, each covering different areas of public life. I was appearing before the Standing Committee on Science to give evidence on developments in computer sequencing in genome mapping. She cuts across me. But you used to work full-time at the Beaufort Institute, didn't you? Before you went freelance, I mean? The, uh, the Beaufort Institute for Genomic Research is its full title, I believe. This non-sequitur baffles me for a moment. Yes, yes, I worked there full-time for eight years before reducing my formal hours to two days a week. A kind of consultancy role where I... It's one of the most prestigious research institutes in the country, isn't it? Well, along with those in Cambridge and Glasgow, in my field, I suppose, yes. I was very... Can you just tell the court where the Beaufort Institute is located?